Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Now we're going to wrap up this uh, series we've been in for four weeks entitled Neighbors. Um, I cannot tell you what's next week yet, so you need to pray for me. I don't know exactly where we'll be next week. I've been looking at maybe doing a series in a small book in the Bible, kind of verse by verse. It's been a while since we've done that. But I don't have any absolute uh, clarity yet on that. So we may get to next Sunday, and I'll point out to some of you and say it's time for you to come up and share your message or something like that. I'm just joking. Don't stay away. Yeah, I know. You'll jump at it. <laughs> But I just scared off everybody else, I think, maybe, I don't know. But um, um, in, in this series, we just, I, I thought it was kind of a logical thing where God was having us based on where we've been since January, uh, talking about uh, living more set-apart lives, uh, talking about, on the other side of that, discipleship and, and, and being more like Christ, <clears throat> and, and then uh, how we ought to, uh, to be loving our neighbors is more or less what this series has been about. Um, Jesus said this in, uh, in Mark, he, he said, you shall. So th- that's an imperative. If you look it up in the Greek, it's even an imperative tense. It's not like saying maybe, but he's saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then each week we've read that each week, we have looked at that definition of neighbor Yes, it does refer to the people that live right beside of you, but that's not necessarily the way Jesus was using it. It also refers to anyone who is near you. So when you're checking out at the grocery store, there are people near you. Yeah, you know, when you're working at, at your job, there are people near you. When you're going to school, if you're in school, there are, there are people near you. And we need to look at at those as opportunities for us to try and reach into their life and pour into their life. Especially today, we're going to notice how we ought to do that instead of considering it to be an interruption. In this series, we start out talking about what is love, because if we're going to talk about loving people, we need to recognize really uh, what it is. And then we talked about how to love. And then last week, we talked about uh, who to love, which more or less was uh, anybody. Uh, last week, we looked at that uh, story of the Good Samaritan and how you know, two uh, really religious Jews walked by and let this fellow bleed and dying in the road. But it was this Samaritan that stopped and, and talked to them. Today, we're going to look at another Samaritan. And we're going to try and answer this question, when do I love? And the obvious answer ought to be this, whenever. Amen? Whenever the opportunity is placed before us. I really hope to use today's message to uh, maybe turn our attention away from only loving people when we feel like it, for only loving people when we think we've got the time or it's not a distraction or uh, only loving people when it's convenient for us, I guess. The truth of the matter is, as the followers of Christ, we should not only allow interruptions into our lives we should embrace those interruptions into our lives if we can teach ourselves to do so and, and view those as opportunities instead of viewing it instantly as something that's negative. 
We ought to be taking steps to love people. Not only should we uh, accept the opportunity when it comes, we ought to be trying to create the opportunity to, to give us some oppor- to the chance, the opportunities to, uh, to love others. We're going to be looking uh, at several verses in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, you've got a familiar story probably to most of you about the Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. And while we're going to look at several verses uh, there, we're primarily going to have a focus uh, on some verses. And then as I go through this story, we'll look at other verses uh, that kind of help us understand the context and everything that was taking place. But we're going to start out uh, in John chapter 4 and uh, in verse number 31. Uh, So let me ask you to do this. If you'll stand out of God's word as we as we read these verses. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish the work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we ask you to help us today to learn some lessons from this exchange that your son had with this Samaritan woman at the well. Help us to realize that you have planned events for us, that you have people in our pathway that sometimes might be an inconvenient time. Sometimes it may be a, a situation that we view as, uh, Father, as, as being an interruption. Father, help us to rise above that. Help us to understand you've called us to, to love others, to love our neighbors, to love those we are, we are near to in any moment, in any given circumstance. Help us to, to view that as an opportunity to speak into their lives, to impact their lives for, for you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The big idea, the big picture, kind of running under what we're talking about today is, is this. The satisfaction of our everyday personal lives pales, or should pale, this way it should be. The satisfaction of our everyday personal lives pales in comparison to the satisfaction that comes from allowing interruptions to our lives, which gives us the opportunities to love others and impact their lives for God. That's kind of the underlying message that we're going to look at. There's two main following statements and some other thoughts to go with those that we're going to look at today that hopefully will help us answer the question, when do I love? And as I alluded to in our Father's Day emphasis, yes, I know it's Father's Day, but I think this is a perfect application for us guys as, as men. Because too often we get busy doing our thing. We get busy with our hobbies. We get busy working on something. And, and we might even view our own children as interruptions or other situations as, as interruptions and get frustrated instead of us Understand, and maybe God's given us an opportunity. So in, in, in these two main statements, here's the, here's the first statement we want to look at this morning. 
the importance of making an eternal impact. The importance of making an eternal impact rather than focusing upon our own personal temporal needs. I think you'll see that in the life of Jesus in these verses. Verse 31 and 34 that we read just a moment ago. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. We'll see the context of that here in just a second. But he said to them, I've got food to eat that you don't know about. In other words, there's something more important to Jesus just than his physical needs. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They didn't really understand the point that he was making. And Jesus said to them, my food, what feeds me the most, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now to give us some background to what Jesus is is saying there, let's look at at John chapter 4 verse 1 through 4 and then I'm going to Skip over verse 5. Not anything wrong with verse 5 at all. Just to make my, my, my context, though, it didn't really uh, add to it. So let's look at, at verse 1 through, through 4 and then verse 6. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, now, let me give you some background. They weren't upset that Jesus was making more disciples than John. They were already upset that John was making more disciples than the Pharisees were. <laughs> So now they're upset because Jesus is even making more disciples than John was making because the Pharisees wanted to be the ones that went around and strutted around and kind of said, look at me, look at all the disciples I make. So so that's what's taking place here. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He was letting them have that responsibility. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, someone's going to think, well, does that mean Jesus was running away? A lot of times Jesus would withdraw because his time had not come yet. The time that he would be arrested, the time that he would be taken, that would ultimately lead to him going to the cross for our sins. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the King James says he must needs pass through Samaria. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So you've already seen that he was hungry, the disciples had gone away from food. Here in the very first part of chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus was tired, he was weary, he was sitting beside the well. In other words, Scripture's given us an insight into the humanity of Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the God-man. And that means he's just as much God as he is man. The flip side of that is when he was here in this world, even though he was God in the flesh, he was also just as much man as he was God. So he would be hungry. He would be tired just like we can grow tired. So here we have a picture of Jesus making this journey through Samaria. He he goes and he sits down on this well because he's extremely tired. The disciples have gone away for food, but even though that's the case, He's going to take time in the midst of his weariness, in the midst of being hungry. He's going to take an opportune time to talk to this Samaritan woman. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus planned it like this. Because the phrase for had or must needs, depending on your translation, the phrase in the Greek literally means to bind, to bind. In other words, Jesus wasn't haphazardly just going through Samaria. 
Most Jews would go around Samaria, and we'll talk some about the stigma toward the Samaritans like I did last week. I'll, I'll refresh your mind about that in a few moments. But most Jews would go around Samaria instead of through Samaria. Even though it would have been shorter for them to go through Samaria because of the stigma and their hatred of the Samaritans, they would go around. But you see, not Jesus. Jesus intentionally goes through Samaria and I think Jesus intentionally goes there because he was bound. He had this appointment with a woman at a well in Samaria. Now, before you think I'm going too far on the God type side for Jesus, I want to remind you all through the New Testament, Jesus knew what people were thinking, right? When the Pharisees were thinking in their mind, reasoning in their mind, he knew their thoughts. So I lean on this side of this issue. I think Jesus knew exactly what time this woman would show up at a well. I think Jesus had an appointment there in his own mind, in his own heart. And and he was going there to speak some forgiveness and hope into the life of this woman. Jesus was going there because he had a divine appointment. Not only can Jesus have divine appointments, God can place divine appointments in our lives and in our pathways if we will be alert and aware to the fact that God does that. Maybe ask yourself then, what divine appointments does Jesus have for you? Because there are people that God has in your pathway that he wants you to speak into their lives. That he wants you to provide some hope for them because of all that they're going through. And and I think that's what we see taking place here in, in the life of Jesus. So as we look closer at this story about Jesus speaking with this woman at the well, I want you to notice how making an eternal impact in someone's life was more important to Christ than his own personal needs. Now, I mean, having said that, before you start making an excuse and say, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. And I get tired and I get frustrated and I get ornery and I get hungry and I get mean. And, and sometimes I don't want people interrupting me. Well, I understand you're not Jesus, but if you're a follower of Christ, you're to be his disciple and being a disciple of his means we try our best to look like him and act like him. So that means we need to allow interruptions in our lives also, as we see in this story here of Jesus and this woman at the well. Making an eternal impact in the lives of others is more important than cultural barriers. You'll see this as we walk through this story. Making an eternal impact in the lives of others is more important than cultural barriers. Verse 7 and 9 said there was a woman of Samaria, and she came. there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? The very fact that Jesus even speaks to this woman blows her away. Because that's not normally what would happen between a Jew and a Samaritan. So as we look at Jesus breaking some cultural barriers here, I I think there's some cultural barriers implied here that you and I need to be willing to break in our lives also. The the first cultural barrier was one of prejudice. 
And prejudice really shows up in, in, in two types here. One, I've already alluded to some, so you may not be surprised by that. But because of our culture today, the second one might surprise you. But the first prejudice was simply that she was from Samaria and that she was a Samaritan. Even as Jesus is walking through the country would have been a shock. To give you some background to why this is significant, there was a time when the Assyrians came in and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. The the Assyrian king had most of the Jews in the northern kingdom carried off into captivity. And then he repopulated the northern kingdom with people from other areas that he had conquered. And he sent them in there to populate the area where he had taken the majority of the Jews away from in the northern kingdom. What eventually happens is this. They begin to intermarry. And as they intermarry, the Jews now are really upset with the Samaritans because they look at them as though they're no longer pure Jewish blood. So that was what was taking place. And also, the Samaritans came up with their own religious system. So that also really kind of ticked off the, 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 the true Jews and, and said, we're, we're upset with you and we don't want to be around you. They looked at them like a, like a bunch of half-breeds, so to speak. So that's in the background to this taking place. And this woman is completely shocked to death that Jesus would ask her for a drink of water. Because normally they wouldn't even speak. So think about it in this process. If it's someone that you're really prejudiced against, some race or whatever, and you're asking that person to dip their hand into the water and give you the drink. You see, we should not be bothered by prejudice. This first type of prejudice is a racial type of prejudice, more or less. And you and I, as the followers of Christ, we, we don't ever need to allow prejudice to affect how we love others or when we love others. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're different than us and how different they are than than we are. We're we're to love them. We're to try and impact their lives instead of looking at them as a frustration or, or look at them as an inconvenience. We're to try and impact their lives in the moment when we can for Christ. The second part of this prejudice here is the very fact that she was a woman. Now, like I said, in our culture today, that's not as huge as it has been in our culture at times. And I recognize some of you ladies may feel like that's still a big issue because you're, you're thinking about, uh, you know, maybe in, in your job, you don't get the same uh, promotions or the same pay or whatever it might be as a man. I, I recognize there can be some prejudices in, in, in our world today, even like that. But if you want to get a picture of the type of prejudice that existed in that day and time, look at how the Taliban treated women. Look at how radical Islam treats women when you see it in the news. That would give you a picture of what the culture was like in that day and time. So she's already being minimized because she's a woman. And she's even blown away that Jesus would have anything at all to say to her because she's a Samaritan and because she's a woman. But you see, Jesus clearly 
demonstrated throughout his earthly ministry, he broke down these cultural barriers. He broke down prejudice. In in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus would talk to lepers and hang out with lepers and heal lepers when everybody else was running away. When the lepers had to stand in a distance and cry out that they were lepers so people could run and hide from them, Jesus would engage them. Jesus had women that was involved in his earthly ministry. So that's something that was very unusual in that day and time. Jesus had tax collectors and and things that he reached out to. In other words, Jesus broke the norms of that day to push beyond any type of prejudice and love people and try and impact their lives for the kingdom of God. Now, having said that, I want to give you a warning. You are not Jesus Christ. And here's my warning with that. The disciples, if you read the whole story, when they come back with the food, they see Jesus talking to a woman and they're shocked. What was he doing? Because in that culture, it was wrong for a man to talk to a woman in private unless it was his mother or his sister or his wife. Completely wrong, completely improper to have a conversation in private. The warning I'm wanting to give you is this. Since you're not Jesus Christ, you need to be careful about private exchanges with the opposite sex. You understand what I'm saying? You're not Jesus. (laughs) And you can have the perfectly clear, honest, maybe even spiritual mindset that that it's okay. Every now and then somebody will ask me, why do we have full glass doors going into our offices? You want to know why? Can you figure it out now? And that way, if I am caught in a circumstance to where I am having to talk to a woman by myself, there's a clear glass door. And you just need to be careful about that because you never know how the devil may use that in a moment because you're not Jesus. Okay? So I want to give you a warning with it. Is that a good warning, guys? Hey, it's a good warning, ladies, too, right? Amen. I want to give you another cultural barrier here that we see Jesus breaking in this story. And that's a cultural barrier of judgmentalism. Not only was this woman a woman and a Samaritan. She had a past, and it wasn't, it wasn't a pristine reputation that she had at all. So Jesus does something that this woman is completely not used to. To give you a little bit more background, the, the scripture we read earlier said it was about the sixth hour. That's in the heat of the day. Women did not go to the well in the heat of the day in that arid climate. They wouldn't go in the heat of the sun in that part of the day. Instead, they would go early in the morning or late in the evening, and they would draw the water they needed in their jars or their buckets, and they would take it back to their homes. So this woman going to this well this time of day lets us know something. 
If you ever get a map and look at the different wells that were close by where she lived, this well, Jacob's well that she's going to, wasn't the closest well either. She could have gone to a couple of other wells that were even closer than Jacob's well. So what in the world's going on to make her do that in the heat of the day? It's her past. It's her reputation. The Bible tells us she had been married five times. And the one that she was with now was not her husband. We'll read the scripture in a minute. So in other words, the stigma in her life was she had had five husbands, been through divorces with them, and and now, I I guess if you want to put it in redneck Caldwell County slang, she's shacking up with a guy, okay? (laughs) Just to kind of be clear there. And she had been, no doubt at other times, around the women in the village. And she had experienced their judgmental looks, the the stigma of her past, the guilt of her past, their gossip and their whispers, and everything like that. That, That's why she's going in in the heat of the day. That's why she's going to the well, not closest to her, hoping to avoid any contact with anyone at all because she's really guilty about her past and she's been looked down upon and she's been judged by people because of her past. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, I'm going to give you a free side message today. Okay? It's not the main point of the message, but to read this text, it needs to be dealt with. A lot of people never deal with this. A lot of people have a conservative mindset, and I'm of a conservative mindset. They never deal with a couple of things in this story. One, the woman went into the city and proclaimed the gospel. She did. You'll see that in the rest of the story. Another thing they don't deal with correctly is what Jesus says here about her past and her married life. So before I say this, I don't want anyone to hear me unclearly. I believe in marriage. Amen. I believe God's original plan was one man and one woman for life. But guess what happened on the other side of that initial union taking place? Something called sin come into the world that causes a lot of trouble. Amen. I believe in marriage. I believe our goal ought to be the one man and one woman for life. Becky, if I don't get it right, I'm going to be in trouble. But I think it's 42 years that we're going to celebrate Tuesday. Is that right? Thank God I got it right. (laughs) But even though that's the case, there's something here that I need to point out to you because some of you aren't in that same scenario. And some of you have been looked down upon maybe by culture or even by the church. And there are a lot of people that have the mindset of all divorce and remarriage is a sin. And like if you do that, you're messed up from now on. But Jesus himself had an exclusion cause. He said, except for fornication. 
So Jesus had an exclusion cause. But, but I want you to notice an important thing here that I don't think we need to jump over and then I'll get back on point to the message. When Jesus asked this woman to go and call her five husbands, she said, I don't have a husband. Now, now think about that. If the viewpoint that, that I know some pastors have and some conservatives have is that the only marriage that God ever views is that first marriage. Think about this. You have Jesus Christ, who's God in the flesh, right? Who had a perfect opportunity to look at this woman and say, no, 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 wait a minute. What you said is wrong. That first husband that you had, that's the only one that I still recognize. But that is not what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus agrees with her and he said, you have said right that you don't have a husband. Then he even let her know that he knew that the one she was with now wasn't her husband. But then he even said the second time, what you have said is true. So just take this. Don't start your own denomination or anything. But I think it's something that's important truth that we need to deal with. And I hope if you've been around here long, you understand we try and stay with what the Bible says. I'm telling you, if God only, only, only viewed that first marriage as the one that counts, then why did not Jesus correct her here? Instead, Jesus looked at her and he said, you have said right. So maybe that gives a little bit of peace to some of you that have been judged and condemned and looked down on. by what Jesus said here in this text. Christ steps above the cultural barrier of judgmentalism, taking time to minister to this guilt-ridden woman, putting her needs ahead of his own. He's hungry, he's tired, he's frustrated maybe with everything that's taking place. I don't know if he's frustrated, he was Jesus. I would be frustrated. Let me put it like that, okay? But he desires to make an an eternal impact rather than focusing upon his own needs. Now, two more quick things about this first thought, this first statement, then we'll get to statement two. Making an eternal impact in the lives of others is more important than our personal needs. That's kind of what I've already been alluding to. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. In other words, you know, Jesus, you're bound to be hungry. We know you're tired. You need to take care of your own needs. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Jesus is saying there's something more important than my temporal needs. And once again, you and I are not Christ, but if we're Christians, we're supposed to try to be like Christ. And that means in our lives, we need to view pouring into the life of someone else to be more important than our temporal needs in the moment. Second thing I want you to see is this. Making an eternal impact in the lives of others provides real satisfaction. Provides real satisfaction. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food. In other words, what feeds me? What satisfies me more than my temporal needs? My food is to do the will of him. Talking about his father, God, the father who sent me, God, the son to accomplish his work. Jesus was saying, I've got some satisfaction that you don't understand. I've been fed. I've been energized by my exchange with this woman. You see, by the time this takes place, Jesus had already told her about her life. 
Jesus had already had a little spiritual uh, debate with her about, uh, you know, about uh, where you're to worship and everything like that. Jesus tells her who he is. She dropped her water pot and she runs back into the village. And we'll talk more about that in a second. And because Jesus had the opportunity to pour into this woman's life, he's got some satisfaction that the disciples don't understand in that moment. He's got something that feeds him, which was doing the Father's will. Now, I don't know how many of you have experienced this. I know some of you have. But there have been times in my life when maybe I've been beaten down by something, maybe it's been a tough week or whatever. Maybe I've got a lot of, you know, a lot of things in my life that, that I'm focused on. But what I have found out in that moment, if I get an opportunity to pour into somebody else's life, it gives me satisfaction and helps whatever it is I'm concerned and worried about to go away. There are weeks, guys, I don't ever get up and say much about it. There are weeks that I've been beaten up by life and situations during the week. This past week, a friend of mine that I met probably maybe five or six years ago, six years ago in the Patriot Guard. I met him because the Patriot Guard was staying at Hickory Airport for a killed in action soldier to be brought home. And that's when I met my friend that I'm talking about for the first time. And we developed a relationship and we've, we've stayed in touch a lot. My friend lost his son June the 19th, 2007. When I found out about it, I can't get away from that date because I'm always reminded that's our anniversary date. So he lost his son, his only child, his son, June 19th, 2007. He has struggled with it for 11 years. His wife had struggled with it for all these years. This past Sunday night, she took her life. In, in front of her husband. So now he's got the anniversary of his son's death coming up. And now forever he's going to have right close to it an anniversary of his wife taking her life in his presence. That's where I've been walking this week. I've been in their home. I organized a motorcycle escort for them two years ago because it was the first time that the anniversary of his son, Ward's death, was falling on Father's Day. And we got with him and his wife, we took him to the gravesite, and we tried to show honor to, to his son. I couldn't think. Tuesday. I told my wife, I, I said, I can't study. I'm just in a fog. And Tuesday is like my main study day where I try and get everything finished up for Sunday. But I've had other situations like that in my life. But I will tell you, even though I came a little bit distracted and beat down by this situation all this week, after I preached in the first service, I felt at peace and I felt like I'd done what I was supposed to do. I hope I feel the same way after this service. All I'm trying to communicate to you is this. In the midst of our own frustrations or distractions or personal needs or whatever it might be, 
If we will break beyond that, and if we will try and minister to people in the moment, try and reach out to them in the moment, as God gives an opportunity, instead of viewing it as an interruption or a distraction or an inconvenience, if we can try and minister to people in the middle of whatever it is we're feeling in our own personal lives, you can find a satisfaction that you will not find in any other thing. If you're hungry, go buy the best meal in the world. You won't think twice about that meal in eternity, but you will think twice in eternity about how God used you in the life of somebody else. If you're worn out and tired and beat down by life, you you might be wanting just to pull the cover over your heads and give up. But if you in that moment instead will take it as an opportunity to try and impact somebody else's life for the kingdom of God, then you won't be worried at all about how you were feeling because you can have a satisfaction as a believer that rises above any type of personal frustration or need you have in your life. And as I said, with it being... With it being Father's Day, there's some definite applications there that I've already alluded to. Don't ever, ever take your children as an interruption or a distraction or an inconvenience. There's probably times I did that when I was busy studying. I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. When I should have taken time just to play with my kids. They'll grow up fast on you if you've still got small kids. Those of you that have those babies here today, you need to take every opportunity you have in your life to pour into those babies. Second main truth I want you to see today, or second main statement from this story is this. The necessity of making a spiritual impact in the moment instead of putting all spiritual impact into the future. When we've got the opportunity before us in the moment, don't kick the can down the road. Don't put off making some type of spiritual impact in somebody's life into the future. When you've got the opportunity before you now, no matter else what might be going on. Look at verse 35. Do you not say, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, There yet four months. In other words, it's not harvest time yet. Four months down the road will be harvest time. There there yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Instead, he tells his disciples, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Whatever it is you're distracted, whatever it is that you think is so important right now in the moment. Quit looking at that for a moment. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white. For harvest. More or less, Jesus is, is telling his disciples, quit just waiting for the harvest to happen way on down the road. He, he's telling them there, there's a need for a harvest right now. There's a need for you to sow in the lives of people right now. There, there's a need for you to impact the lives of people for the kingdom of God right now. As a point he's trying to make to his disciples. They were concerned about his hunger. They went after food. Jesus had this satisfaction that they didn't understand. And it came about because in the moment, in that opportunity, even though Jesus, yes, he was God in the flesh, but he was still human. Even though Jesus in that moment, 
He was weary and he was hungry. He seized upon an opportunity to speak truth into the life of this Samaritan woman. He sowed the seed of the gospel. He sowed a seed of hope, a seed of forgiveness, a seed of mercy and grace. And she received it. And this woman with great excitement instantly left her water pot, the thing that she was so concerned about. And evidently she forgot about, oh, I don't want anybody to see me. I'm embarrassed about my past. I don't want to have to be confronted by anybody. She leaves the water pot and she runs into the city to the same people she's trying to hide from because of her shame. She runs into the city and she begins telling them, come and see this man that I met that told me everything that I've ever done. Could not this be the Messiah? You see, I think she had already bought into the fact that he's the Messiah after she heard everything she had heard. And she leaves that water pot and she runs in. And the woman that was filled with shame now doesn't seem to be worried at all who she talks to or who sees her because she's met the Messiah. Maybe they'll give you some peace in your life because not all of us have pristine, clean lives in the past. But you've met Jesus. Don't go around with your shame, keeping you from doing what you need to do. Instead, you need to, with that same degree of excitement, engage people. It said in verse 28, 30, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, Come see the man that told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Her excitement and lack of shame must have impacted their lives because some of them believed because of her word. This is the woman that did hide from them. Now her shame seems to be gone and, and that impacted them. But some came out and saw Jesus and he stayed with them two days. And the Bible says others believe because of his words. The main point is simply this, guys. Jesus made a spiritual impact in this woman's life In the moment, instead of looking down the road to some other opportunity to harvest, Jesus planted and he harvested in the moment. And he tells his disciples, quit looking down the road, quit waiting, lift up your eyes and see there's a great need for harvest right now and start working right now. Start harvesting right now. I think a lot of us today are a little bit beat down by our culture. We're worried about our culture. We, we might think, man, it's just not a good time to share Christ with people because of everybody, the way they seem to be anti-Christian and anti-this. And... But I want you to look at this in a different way and try to start looking at it in a different way. The very fact that our culture is so bad simply means that, Jesus, that people need Jesus all the more. And they've tried this and they've tried that and they've tried the other thing to try and get peace in their life and they can't find peace in their life. We need to understand that right now in the world that we live in, the fields are as white and to harvest as they have ever been in the history of the world. Instead of us retreating, we need to step forward with the truth of the gospel and understand the fields are white to harvest now. I'd ask John... Because I've heard a testimony that John's given. Some of you may have heard part of it. But I'd ask John when we started working on this message to to come and share some about his personal testimony. I think you'll see clearly how it fits in what we're talking about today. Thank you, man. 
Um, <clears throat> so I don't usually, what I'm getting ready to share with you, I don't usually share out in public. Um, some of you may have heard bits and pieces, but um, probably <clears throat> if anybody in here has heard the whole story, it's probably very few of, of you. Um, uh, but uh, you remember seeing on television years ago the um, uh, the plate spinners, the people that they'd set up all these little dowel rods and try to spin and balance as many plates as they could, and, and um, you know trying to break the world record and things like that. I used to do it on the variety shows. Um, you know that sometimes sometimes I feel like that guy. You guys feel like that. Too many plates trying to keep them spinning and, and just not enough hands, right? Um, <clears throat> well, years ago, what, what I'm getting ready to share with you, I, I don't share any of this to, um, uh, to um, elicit pity or, or, or anything like that, sympathy from anybody. I, I, I need to set up the context of the story, though, because it would be hard for you to understand and really grasp um, the gravity of this, uh, I think, without the backstory, and uh, some of this stuff, you know, my kids are some of my kids are sitting in here and they haven't heard this, and so uh, this is going to be new information for them even. Um, but you know, I've only served three churches in my uh, years in ministry. I've been been in ministry uh, about as long as we've been married. So, um, <clears throat> and uh, only two of those, counting this one have been as a paid pastoral position. Um, I've been there. I, w- I was at the last one for um, nine years. And I've been here for six years. Um, and at the last church, and, and again, this is, not, um, this is not talk anyone else down or to, 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 to elicit sympathy, but I just feel like you have to know the back story. So where I was at this church... <clears throat> we, uh, for, for some reason, the pastor uh, um, wanted to get rid of me, and he, he had it out for me, and he, he did it in a very, um, I think, diabolical way, I guess, and, uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, this is on live stream, so who in the world's going to watch? I don't care. I'm telling you the truth. Everybody else knows what they were told. I know what happened because I was there. I lived it. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, he, he was trying to get rid of me, and um, so he was doing some things to undermine uh, my ministry and undermine my credibility with other people by spreading rumors and lies about things that, that weren't true. Um, he would tell me to do one thing, and then in a meeting when I would bring it up, he'd say, well, I don't understand why you did that. And I'd say, because you told me to. And he'd say, no, I didn't. That's a lie. Uh, I mean, you know, he threw me under the bus a number of times. Um, and... Uh, you know, every one of the staff members, we all had a day for pastoral care. We had a day we were assigned to 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 take care of the needs of the the people in the church that that might need pastoral care. And so, <clears throat> Tuesday was a very hard day for me because that was rehearsal night. Now, when I say rehearsal, it wasn't just this. Um, I had multiple rehearsals happening simultaneously, and the start times were staggered by about thirty minutes. But I had a um, I had a first I had a team meeting with all of my leaders and then next we had choir rehearsal start and then 
30 minutes after that, we had um, band, uh, band rehearsal start. At the same time, we had tech rehearsal going on. And uh, about 30 minutes after that, we had brass section rehearsal happening. So we had all these rehearsals happening simultaneously with staggered times. And, and I was kind of in charge of all those areas and working with these volunteer leaders. And, and um, so I was responsible for having all of their resources together for them. And when we... Um, you can imagine the number of copies of sheet music and stuff for you know, brass and all the different brass parts and the choir parts and everything else. And so um, it, it was just, uh, you know, all, all total, we'd say, I'd say we had probably 125 people-ish, something like that, in our worship ministry altogether. And um, it, <clears throat> Tuesdays, my, my pastoral care day was on Thursdays because Tuesday was too much, you know. Uh, Monday we were all we were in staff meeting all day. Uh, Wednesday night we had classes uh, at the church in the evenings, and so we all taught classes. So um, you know, uh, but Tuesday was my heavy day for rehearsal stuff, and so that uh, um, that was the lead pastor's pastoral care day. Um, but what happened is um, he started pushing all the pastoral care stuff on me because he scheduled his preaching team meetings on Tuesday nights uh, during my rehearsal time. And so while he was prepping for his preaching team meetings, uh, if the secretary said, hey, we have somebody that needs pastoral care, he'd say, send it to John. Um, and, and that's just one example of the plates that he would throw at me um, just to make life crazy. Um, and, and I realized looking back, he was trying to put me in a position where I would give up and quit. And I didn't. And so also something that you need to know is that some of you may have figured this out already, but I have had a tendency in my life to be a bit perfectionistic at times. Um, Stop. I heard you. You're not supposed to laugh out loud. And uh, and also a uh, tendency to be task-oriented rather than goal-oriented. And those are two things that I've tried to work on over the years um, and and uh, made some improvements in those areas, I think. So if you think I'm bad now, you didn't know me then, okay? <clears throat> but um, and, and what that means is, you know, uh, I'll have a long list of things that need to be done, and I feel really good if I get them checked off. And anybody else identify? Like, you got this long list of stuff. It's like 12 things long, and you go, these have to happen today, and you get maybe three, and you feel defeated every day. That, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of my thing. <clears throat> and um, so um, I've had to try to shift that and realize, you know, the, the goal, you know, these are tasks, but there's an ultimate goal. And so sometimes you, you don't need to get it all done, and you don't need to get it all done perfectly. You just need to be making progress towards the goal. Because if you can make three steps forward towards your goal, you, you're headed in the right direction. You're making progress. That's how you build momentum, little steps consistently over time. Anyway, uh, this is going to end up being a long testimony if I don't hurry up. Um, so, so, uh, the, the, uh, the deal is I I was working on that and, and Tuesdays were my heavy day and, and it was not uncommon. My, my office in front of my office was the volunteer office. You had to go through the volunteer office to get to my office. And so I would come out of my office and there would be a ton of people there. Um, or I'd go in my office and close the door and I couldn't think or concentrate because all the people in there, or I would go to use a copier 
and somebody else is using it because it's the volunteer office. It's where the copier is. Yeah, and and so um, it, some people would. There were people that came by after after uh, work and after school, um, and and uh, there was always it was a, it was a hub of activity, and. I remember this one particular Tuesday, I could not get everything done, and I was stressed, and every time I turned around, there was somebody that had a need, and somewhere I had to go, and somebody I had to take care of, and, and somebody using the copier, and somebody who wanted to talk, and <clears throat> some of them had important things, and some of them not so important, and, I'm, and, and in my mind, I was in such agony and angst because I couldn't get my stuff done, and I had all this weight on me. And, and it had been like this consistently for a long time. And I remember when the last volunteer left that office that afternoon, about 5.30, when we were supposed to start stuff at 6 o'clock, and I didn't have copies made still for choir. And the last person left, I waited until, waited until they got in their car, and I slammed the door. I locked it. I turned off the lights. And out loud I said, God, make these people leave me alone so I can do my job. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have experienced this before or not, but <clears throat> I've never heard God speak in an audible voice, but there have been times in my life I heard him speak, and it was very clear it might as well have been audible because I knew there was no question where it came from. Anybody had that experience? Okay. All right. The moment those words came out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit said, John, you're a pastor. These people are your job. That hurt. And I said, no, God, that's not what I meant. And before I even got that sentence out, he said, yes, you did. That broke me. I was under so much pressure to perform and could not get anything done. And I just, I just sat down. I said, God, you're going to have to teach me how to do this. I don't, know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a pastor. I don't know how to get this stuff done. I don't know how to handle all the stuff that's being thrown at me. And I don't understand why this is happening. And so I began to try to work on it. And um, just asking God to help me see the people in front of me. And uh, one of the things that happened is I, I would learn that when I was dealing with somebody, they they come and 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 they want to talk about something, and and so <clears throat> I learned to ask a question or two, and then and then say, you know, look, brother, I, I would really like to spend some time talking to you about this some more, and I could see that you need to work through uh, a couple of things. I would love to do it, but right now I'm supposed to be somewhere. I'm I'll be available after four o'clock today. Is there would that work for you? Could we sit down maybe sometime after 4 o'clock and then um, that way I can give you the time you deserve because I only have a couple minutes right now. You know, I, I started learning to do some things like that imperfectly, but I was making progress, right? Um, and then not long after, <clears throat> one of my volunteer leaders came in again about, 15 minutes before rehearsal was supposed to start. She came in my office, she closed the door, and she locked it. 
Now, guys, I don't meet with women behind closed doors. I don't meet with anybody really behind closed doors. I definitely would never lock a door. She came in my office, and she closed the door, and she locked it, and she was in tears. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what is getting ready to happen? And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I cannot do rehearsal tonight. I can't lead. I can't be in there. I can't can't go in there. And so... My flesh is screaming, going, it's a quarter till. What am I going to do? I can't be there and be here and be here. I can't lead this for her. And what am I going to do? Why is she bringing this to me now? Why didn't she call me earlier today? You know, that's all the stuff going on in my mind. And I just quickly in my head, I said, I realized because of what God had been dealing with me about, I said, you know, this is, I got to change this. I got to put my thoughts in the right place. And I said, God, help me know how to love this lady. And, um, and, and then all this happened in a split second. Okay. But the words that came out of my mouth were this, I care more about you than I do about what you offer to this ministry and what you do for this church. Please tell me what's going on. Turned out that this woman was being abused by her husband. They were both in the church. They were both involved in ministry as lay leaders. And that started a very um, long and difficult process for everybody involved Later on, um, about a year later, maybe, or maybe less, um, the pastor called me into his office on a Monday morning during one of the darkest times of my life because of some things that were going on outside of the church in my family. And um, he called me into his office and he handed me a resignation letter that was written for me. And he said, sign it and turn in your keys. And he wouldn't give me a reason except to say, if you don't sign this paper before you leave, there's no severance package. And if you walk out that door without signing, you're abandoning your family because they need this money. Now you talk about manipulation. If I were to be in that situation today, I wouldn't handle it that way. I'd rip the paper up in his face and I'd say, I ain't talking to you. You'll speak with my attorney. But at that moment, I was so caught off guard, I didn't know what to do. And I was in torment. Well, when uh, I signed the paper, it had a non-disclosure clause in it. I wasn't allowed to talk about anything if I wanted my money. And so uh, the pastor had freedom to say whatever he wanted to say to whoever he wanted to say it to, say it from the pulpit, tell any story he wanted to tell. And that's why I said people know what they were told. I lived it. Some of the interactions that people have recounted and told his version of, they weren't there for. And I just go, okay, whatever. But uh I lived it. I know what was said. And, I, and I'm telling the truth. And I stand on the truth. Um, 
But the reason it's important is to, for you to understand that when that day came and I didn't show up, all of a sudden I fell off the face of the earth as far as anybody knew at church. Um, and the stories that people were told were about as numerous as the people who asked for answers. Um, some people have been told that I had taken a job opportunity somewhere else. <laughs> um, when I was gone... There was a group of people that were involved in my worship ministry who said, this doesn't add up. You know who one of the first people was? That leader that came in my office because her husband was abusing her. She knew. She knew that The stories didn't match what she knew about me because she knew that I wouldn't have walked out without saying a word to anybody. And there was a a cluster of folks that just immediately said, we're not listening to anything. I had a lady call me and say, "Um, what's going on? And all I would say is, uh, I resigned because it was in the best interest of my family at the time and any other answers you seek, you need to talk to the pastor. And she said, John Lewis, let me tell you something. I don't believe a word of that because I know you and I know those other people. And as far as I'm concerned, you're my pastor. And I know, and if there's anybody that I trust over there, it's you. And the fact that you won't answer tells me all I need to know. And they're going to get a piece of my mind. (laughs) And I just said, thank you. (laughs) Um, And I say all that to say, you know, during that time, um, God worked even in the midst of that to teach me that the people in front of me were more important than the job that I was doing. Um, And that if I can't focus on it that way, that that I'm not much of a pastor. One of the trickle over, uh, it shouldn't have been a trickle over, but it was one one of the additional lessons I learned as a result. My my kids, at the time that all this stuff was going on before I left the church, my, my uh, oldest two who have been up here on stage um, with the worship team, um, they were about three and four years old. And um, every time I would, on Saturdays, I'd take the garbage to the, to the dump and the recycling and all that stuff. I'd take that, uh, and they would want to go with me. Well, for them to go with me, that meant I had to put car seats in my truck, and I had to get them all buckled up. And then when I got there, um, I have to take care of them while we're there because they want to help. And <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was quite cumbersome in terms of time. And I'm thinking, I could go there and take care of it and be back in 35 minutes. If I go with and take them, it's going to be an hour and a half before I'm done with all of this. And um, in the midst of all those things, once, once God you know, said, you know, Yes, that's exactly what you meant. I, I um, started thinking about that with my kids, too. And every time my kids would say, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go, I'd load them up in the truck. I just decided any time they wanted to go, they were, they were going with me. And, um, you know, they're, they're 14 and 12 now, those two, uh, and they don't want to go. <laughs> they got better things to do with their time. But, uh, but back then they did. And even though it was only 30 minutes, uh, the thought of me leaving, they, they didn't want that to happen. And so um, I, I'd learned to, um, 
to kind of embrace those moments. And, you know, I need to be reminded of that every once in a while. I think we all do. My wife and I have these conversations when she feels the same. We homeschool, and she, well, she homeschools. <laughs> she does the majority of the work there. She's doing the heavy lifting. But um, as we go through homeschool, sometimes she'll get in the same mode. She'll say, you know, I just feel so overwhelmed. We haven't finished this, and we haven't finished that, and, and I needed to do this, and I, I didn't get a chance to. And, I, and I, this is what I say to her. She, you can ask her if this is true. This is what I say to her. I say, you don't teach a curriculum. You teach children. The curriculum is your tool. Don't let it be your boss. Because our goal is to raise God-fearing, God-honoring adults who know how to love Him, how to seek Him, how to hear Him, how to serve Him. And He'll take care of the rest of it. So if that's our goal, then we don't have to worry about all the tasks, right? So anyway, thanks for listening and letting me share. The, the band's going to come up, and we're going to have an invitation. I think you understand why I asked John to, uh, uh, to fit that testimony uh, in. Uh, I had heard it, and I don't know I'd ever told him this. He heard me say it in the first service. But um, that was one of the primary things that God used in my heart when we were dealing with John about extending the call. Uh, is he a good musician? Yes. Uh, you, know, you, you can find good musicians, though, a lot of places. And everything, but I heard that story, and that story was what sealed in my heart the willingness to one communicate it that he was frustrated, and and God told him those people are your job, and uh, and and John, I appreciate your willingness to share that today because uh, we need to be like Jesus in the moment when we have the opportunity. We need to try and minister to people and. And, and engage people and impact their lives for the, for the kingdom of God. A couple of verses, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time for the days of evil. What's the best use of our time? Impacting people for the kingdom of God is the best use of our time. Then First Peter told us, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone. Always be prepared to tell us. Always be prepared. Don't, don't let it be an interruption. Always be prepared to sow into somebody else's life a reason you have the hope that you have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again on this Father's Day for the fathers that that you have saved and that you have invested in and have turned around and been good fathers for you, for you, for the children you've given them. Father, no matter what our experience might have been with fathers in this life, we thank you that you're always the perfect father, that you never let us down. Father, I pray you help us as believers this morning to make to make commitments in our lives, to view others not as interruptions, not as distractions, not as an inconvenience. Father, help us begin to view others in situations that arise as as divine appointments, as 
God ordained opportunities for us to impact somebody's life, to give hope to their life, just to, to speak your truth into their life. Father, there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as Savior. Father, we ask you to, to speak to them right now. Show them their need to trust in Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Christ, why not, why not on this day, on this Father's Day, get the best Father you could ever have by trusting in Christ? And also as believers, maybe some of you today recognize that, that God is telling you you need to start viewing people as opportunities, situations as opportunities, instead of the inconveniences and distractions. Maybe you need to pray where you are. Maybe you need to come kneel and pray and say, God, help me to view people as opportunities to impact them for you. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.